Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Brian Pugh from The Union. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Union Podcast. If this is your first time ever joining up with us here, uh, The Union exists just to talk about God's design for sexuality, identity, marriage, um, relationships, all these different dynamics of our life, and uh, to help bring biblical clarity to all these things. And if you are a return listener, we are so glad that you've come back. We're so glad that you've joined us here again. And we would love it if you would subscribe, comment, and share this podcast. It just helps us uh, to get in the algorithm and be seen by more people and also just get the message of God's restoring power uh, out to the world around us. Um, Recently, Bonnie and I launched a e-course called The Journey Home, and it's all about us coming back home to God's design for sexuality in all these different areas of our life to step out of shame, to step out of guilt, to understand actually how shame works and why even shame exists and how it's actually meant to keep us from a place of brokenness and lead us back to healing. And uh, we would love to you check it out at courses.theunionmovement.com or visit our website, theunionmovement.com and follow the links there. We believe with all of our heart that this e-course will help your life or even help somebody that you know uh, walk in God's design. And, and the fullness of God's uh, purpose for sexuality, identity, and uh, and relationships. So we believe it's going to be a great resource in your hands and in your life. Today is episode thirty-four, and I'm sitting down with John Elmore. And man, I hope. I hope you guys got a notepad ready. This was such an awesome conversation that I had with John. John recently uh, released his book, Freedom Starts Today, uh, talking about overcoming struggles and addiction one day at a time. He's got a remarkable story about how God intervened in his life, set him free from alcohol, from sex, from all this addiction that was going on in his life. But he's really shared some real uh, powerful principles and, and nuggets of truth that um, that really I believe are going to meet us right where we live and, re- and meet you right where you live. And uh, it's, it's such an awesome conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John Elmore. You're listening to The Union Podcast. The Union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh. All right. So here we are with John Elmore. John, thank you so much for sitting down and and, uh, joining us here on the Union Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Glad to be a guest of the Union and what y'all are doing. Yeah, man. Now, obviously, like you just kind of gave it away there with the the solid y'all. You hail from uh, Texas. You and your family, you and your wife, Laura, and your three kids are down in Dallas, Texas, correct? Yes, absolutely. And and that y'all, hey, that's biblical, man. When you look it at the is. Greek, the third person plural, it's you all, it's y'all. So we're just like bringing it back to the original scriptures, ad fontes. Hey, let's go. I love it, man. I love it. Um, now you're on staff at Watermark Community Church and tell us about what you do because you you oversee a remarkable uh, ministry called Regeneration. Tell us about the the heart and the vision of Regeneration. Sure. So my title is Senior Director of Pastoral Care and then Director of Regeneration, which is a biblically-based, Christ-centered 12-step program. And a lot of people, when they hear 12-step program, they're like, oh, that's not for me. I don't stick needles in my arms. I'm not a sex addict, whatever. Right. I need that. My cousin needs that. My nephew needs that. But what it is, in essence, is a year-long discipleship program. So it's just a daily walk with God in community. 
And there's about 1200 people that come every single Monday night from wow. every, every sin struggle or uh, under the sun. And they're finding healing in Christ. And half those people have no affiliation with our church. They're just, uh, we call come it the on. emergency room. We call it the emergency room of our community um, where anyone can come to find healing in Jesus. Yeah. I love it, man. And I was, I was checking out the website. I was checking out, you know, even watermark community church's website. And I go like, what a team you guys have there. Like, uh, it's so remarkable what you guys are doing. I love it. Love it so much. Um, now one of the things we love to do, it's kind of a silly thing because, because like, as we were talking before, we talk about some heavy topics here on, on the podcast when it comes to sexuality, identity, all those different things. But, um, uh, we love to do like a random question. That's just like totally, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but, um, this, but I gotta be honest, this is kind of a calculated random question. Um, <laughs> so I've done a little bit of homework here. What is your craziest tattoo story? Oh man, we're just getting right to the point. Aren't we? We're getting into it. <laughs> oh dude. So I, uh, I have the unfortunate honor of having an exes. So one of my exes, um, her nickname on my right butt cheek. And I used to do prison ministry when I was in seminary. And that was like, that was my icebreaker is, oh, you know, yeah. they've all got crazy prison tats and I mean, gang stuff. And I'd be like, Oh, that's okay. Tell me about that tattoo. I got a tattoo worse than that. And they're like, no, you don't pastor yeah. man, seminary boy, you don't have a tattoo worse than that. I'm like, no, no, trust me. I got a tattoo worse than yours. And they're like, what is it? I'm like on my right butt cheek. I have the word kitten k-i-t-t-e-n and they would i mean they'd be like no you can't say that in here and i'm like wait for it it gets worse it's written in like kindergarten font and then right beside it is the little cat paw and so that's what i'm stuck with now here's the kicker is like i don't know how many years later uh five years later i'm i'm with my now wife with our first like meet the parents I'm meeting her parents, my in-laws now, uh, like second date. And I'm over there at their house. And we're having dinner. And my now father-in-law, he goes, oh, uh, by the way, your taxes are have been prepared, kitten. They're in the other room. And I was like, what What does your dad call you? He's like, oh, he calls me kitten. He's always called me kitten. Why? Why do you ask? And I'm like, oh, no, no reason. No reason. <laughs> uh, now, any other person would be, uh, I think my wife, you know, if that was, if the, if the roles were flipped, I'd be like, you're getting that thing lasered off. I don't yeah, want your yeah. exit. I'm staring that. And uh, she thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. She's like, that's, I mean, that's God's sense of humor. It's your oh, story. Absolutely. I love you more because of your past. So, uh, yep, that's it. Oh man. Well, I think you win. If there's ever going to be a, you know, like a tattoo competition, I think you just won like craziest tattoo. You just, you won hands down. <laughs> Hands yep, down. Yep. Well, you know, in, in January, you released uh, a book called Freedom Starts Today, which, you know, I know we were talking a little bit before, but I think it is just such a powerful tool. Um, I love how you've put it together. It's, um, you know, a day a day at a time to overcome addiction. And, and then, like I was saying to you before, you've done such a great job of unpacking deeper theological truths and realities in a very applicable way. Um, so we're, we're going to jump into some of the heart of the book today, but I'd love for people to hear your story. Like how, why is this, this message of overcoming addiction so important in your heart and the work that you're doing with regeneration? Why is it so important to you? Mm -hmm. Ron, thanks for asking that. So someone told me a long time ago when I was being discipled, 
at the Canicook Institute, uh, this guy said, if you want to know what God's going to do with your future, take a good look at your past. Mm. And it cannot be more true because he will take all those broken pieces, all the broken parts, all the self-inflicted pain. And if you surrender it to him, if you give it to him, he will take that like a trash artist and make this beautiful thing out of all the brokenness. And so it's exactly what he did. He took, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not in my role today because I have a seminary degree. I'm in my role today because I was an alcoholic that Jesus saved. Mm-hmm. Like 12 years of alcoholism. Uh, I tell people that I never, I never struggled with porn. And the reason why I never struggled with it is because I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I I personally loved it. I brought it into a relationship. Um, it was just like a thing that I enjoyed. I didn't struggle with it. And then beyond alcoholism and pornography and sexual sin, you know, strip clubs, make out with a prostitute. There was also pills and weed and beyond the like, Oh wow. Those you, so you're pretty far gone. I was also just caught up in, in myself. And so trying mm-hmm. to create a name for myself, I was in advertising down in Austin, Texas and status seeking and the cars, the house, the lake property, the money, the women. I mean, it was a liar and a chameleon. Right. And so I was just like anything the world offered, I went headlong into And I was told as a child that sin leads to death, but I was like, no, it doesn't. That's Mm. just a scare tactic from a youth pastor. Nobody drops dead because they get drunk or sleeps with a girl or gets high. You're just trying to keep me from fun. But 12 years later into my alcoholism, I had a loaded shotgun, 12 gauge shotgun to my head because I found out that the girl that I was with was with someone else. And I was like, all right, I'm going to kill my buddy who's sleeping with my girl. And then I'm going to kill myself because I don't want to spend life in prison. It was a family intervention. And uh, through that intervention, wound up in a 12-step program. 12-step program said, surrender your life and will over to your higher power. In that case, people are praying to doorknobs, the Pacific Ocean, anything. Right. I knew from my childhood that Jesus saves. But I was more of a deist at this point in my life. Mm. But I knelt down beside the couch that I was living on. I cried out to this God that I rejected and I surrendered everything to him. I said, God, I've squandered everything you gave me, but whatever I've left, it's yours. You get my mind, my money, my heart, my phone, where I live, what I do, my relationships, all my days, everything that I've squandered, it's yours. And he, as Psalm 103 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve, Mm -hmm. but as a father has compassion on our children separates our sin from us as far as the East is from the West. And he didn't make me better. I tell people all the time, he will not make you better. He will make you new. And he set my life on this trajectory. I mean, I thought I had a wild life before I have a wild life now because following God is wild and more than you could ever imagine. It gives you the right. fullness of life you long for. And um, that's how I'm doing what I'm now doing today. Oh man. Bro, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, what did, what did that look like? You know, like that moment, you know, obviously like, I think like when we, when we put our faith in Christ, like there's an instantaneous work that's done, like justification, the theological term, like justice being served in our life. It's like, we're, we are now like lawfully before God, we are now righteous. You know what I mean? And, and, but now like the work of walking out that is such a process. What did that look like for you now coming out of that, that momentary decision that, that changes your position, but now how do you start to walk out a different practice? Yeah. It's wise of you to ask that, Brian. I think when we 
tell our testimonies. Oftentimes when we've been walking with the Lord for a lot, people who are listening may be discouraged. Like, man, that's not my experience. Like, it's not like everything just clicked and all of a sudden my life was sanctified and I was holy. And uh, because it is, it's progressive sanctification. And the Mm -hmm. spirit does that. Our suffering produces character and sanctification. Uh, The word of God, Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And then we're told in Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right. And so people of God sanctify us. And so oftentimes we like share these testimonies and we try to summarize it like I just did, frankly. And mm-hmm. it can be really discouraging to others who are like, well, man, I, I've prayed and I've sought the Lord and I gave him my brokenness and I'm still struggling. And so here's the reality. Like he in that moment, I, I tell people this, that uh, there's there's a one of the entries in freedom starts today, it's the eye of the hurricane, but uh, like I am not like the I uh, E Y E it's just the letter I Jesus is the eye of the hurricane because my circumstances were still swirling around me. I mean, I, I was still living on a couch. I was still losing the girl that I was with to another man. Right. Uh, I was still like daily going to AA meetings, which is like, I mean, it was the most uh, humbling, humiliating thing but God was humbling me in that. Like, Oh, you think you're big time in this, you know, sales and advertising career in Austin. Like you're falling apart at the seams because of your sin. Right. And then beyond that, I would say, uh, while he, he took me from uh, depression, despair, manic, insomniac, but he did give me peace. Like he, that's the eye of the hurricane. He, everything was still swirling around me, but he moved me into the middle with him and despite my circumstances, I did have peace. Hmm. He, he gave me peace that I was looking for, frankly, in a bottle of scotch. He replaced with true, lasting, life-giving peace instead of poisonous, fleeting peace that people find in porn or whatever they may find it in. Right. But then there was this progressive sanctification, and there still is to this day where hmm. uh, I was still addicted to tobacco uh, at that time. And I was still making unwise decisions with women. I just thought alcoholism was was my problem. So I was like, well, I'm not drinking. And I was still, you know, going out with girls that I shouldn't have. And I remember like literally staying the night with a girl. I I trusted Christ. I was, I was going, I was, I left my career and I, I'm, I'm there in a girl's bed. We hadn't had sex, but we were moving down that road and, and the spirit of God convicted me. And I straight up got up in the middle of the night and she was like, where are you going? What are you doing? And I was like, I, I got to go. Wow. And I just started driving down the highway because God was drawing me out of that. Yeah. Um, I wasn't looking at pornography, but masturbation was still a problem. Mm-hmm. And then um, what else would I add to that? Like, I, I mean, here's the thing, man. I, here I am 15 years sober from alcohol. But Brian, I'll tell you and your listeners, and I just texted to my community group that um, I live in a pretty, uh, you know, we're going to church and we're in this modest community. Well, I just I just officiated a wedding uh, out of town in Atlanta and some of the bridal party and those who were at the wedding were not dressed in modesty. And rather than me having eyes of a shepherd, dude, I had eyes of a wolf. I was lustfully looking at the people that I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with and caring for. Hmm. And so, yes, there is every single day. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's what John Owen says, great yeah. theologian in the 1600s, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Yeah. Make it your daily work. And so 
my work today was to confess to my community group guys, the guys I do life with, man, I was struggling with lust this weekend for the ones I'm supposed to be leading to Christ. Right. Right. Well, man, I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's, I got a lot of respect for you for just being that, that open and honest. Um, you, know, cause I think you, you hit on something that's really important for us to remember is like, I think sometimes it, I just speak is from the, on the perspective of the Western church that we we've made as much as that decision to trust in Christ is a momentary decision, like a, like it, it happens once. It's not like you're having to wake up every day and like recommit your life to Jesus. Like, at least I hope you're not like, but, um, but sometimes that's just where we leave it and we don't realize that it's actually, no, it is a choice now every day in light of that justification, right? Not earning salvation every day, but in light of that, that free gift of God that's been given to you in that momentary supernatural work, you know, like we, we've kind of forgotten to have that conversation that even like Jesus said that like narrow is the, is the gate and also narrow is the way, right? Yes. We we'll say all the time that Jesus is the only way and that we'll have a narrow gate, but we don't talk about the narrow way on the other side of the gate. That's actually in a lot of ways, it's narrowing as the Lord is leading you and, and working in your life. And, um, and I just think that's just so on point. And that's why I love, like in the first chapter of your book here, it talks about the first 24 hours. And why don't you tell us about the conversation you had with a guy named Charlie? Yeah. So I had no concept of how to live life sober. I, I had been confronted by my family, by my drinking friends. I had three doctors tell me, you're going to die if you keep drinking like this. But I, so I knew there was brokenness in me. I knew I was addicted, but I was, I had no category. I'm like, what do you do on the weekend? What do you do after work? What do you do on a Saturday morning? What do you do at a wedding reception? What do you do on a holiday? What do you do? I mean, like I couldn't fathom a life without alcohol because it had become so ingrained in me. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. We've got that thing. Everyone's got their thing, their thing they run to for relief, for celebration, when they're stressed, when they're lonely, we just all have that, this side of eternity. And so uh, I couldn't fathom not drinking for the rest of my life, but Charlie asked me a question that I could, it was within reach. He said, could you, by God's strength, commit to not drinking for the next 24 hours? In that, I was like, yeah, I could go 24 hours by God's strength. I could not drink for 24 hours. Now, if you ask me, could you not drink for the rest of your life? I would have said, no way, no chance, sheer possibility. But could you go for 24 hours? Absolutely. And what he was doing in that moment profoundly changed the rest of my life because it was making a proactive decision. I think so often in Christianity, we reactively confess. I will tell you if and when I sin, if it gets gross enough, big enough that I think, man, I got to bring this into the light. Hmm. And hear me say, that's good and right. That's James five sixteen. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That we should be doing that. But what if we went on the offensive and before we got to the moment of confession of sin, we made a decision to not sin, to say uh, what you were just saying about justification versus sanctification. So justification, yes, I'm right with God. He saved me. But what if we said, and he will keep me safe today, Mm -hmm. today, I will surrender to the Lord. Martin Luther who God used to spark the great reformation and bring the gospel and the scriptures back into the church. He said, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he said, he meant the whole life 
of the believer is to be one of repentance, meaning mm-hmm. every single day we're to be turning from sin by turning towards Christ. And so this book, Freedom Starts Today, is really just that. It's a handhold of how to make a daily decision. Today, I will not give into my thing by God's strength and with the help of another believer. And then I'm going to follow up with that person the next day and let them know how I did. And so you're making that decision. You're going to follow up with the person the next day. You're bringing God into the fight. Like I have no power over sin. The spirit is the sanctifier. He is mm-hmm. the one who kills sin. In us. That's Romans 8, 13. Yeah. If you live according to the flesh, if you do what you want to do, you'll die. It will lead to death, relational death, emotional death, spiritual death, mm-hmm. certainly eternal death. But if by the spirit, he's the one, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. So you got to bring him into the fight because he's the one that can kill sin. He alone. And so you're bringing God into the fight proactively with another believer and making that daily decision before you even get to the point of sin. You're yeah. going on the offense. Yeah, that's so good, man. I, and I love like you, you make a big emphasis in, in freedom stars today that like you need to be connecting with somebody. You need to be talking with somebody on a regular basis. Like, like you even, you, there's a couple of spots I see it where it's like, you need to text that, text that person now, whoever that person is going to be and tell them exactly that you're committing to the next 24 hours to not blank, like whatever, whatever it is. Right. So what, what would you say to somebody who, who is like, cause I don't know what it is, man, in our modern day, like we've never been so connected yet. So isolated, if that makes, you know what I mean? We've got so many social media apps and everything yet. We feel so isolated. What would you say to that person? Who's like, that's a scary, a scary reality to start to think that I would have to live in community to find healing. Yeah. So here's your choice. You can either have healing or you will have bondage. And there is no, and and it will hinge upon if you bring this into the light, not before God, but with other believers, right? another believer. And there's just no other way. God has rigged it. He has set it up so that, and I think it's because he knows that all of us have sin and he wants us all to be healed. And so he's like, I can't have healing be individualistic because the word won't spread. I need everybody to be confessing their sins to each other and they're going to find healing together as the body of Christ. And this is not some Christianese life hack because I wanted to write a book. It was totally. because it was like, I mean, the lights came on and it was like, oh my goodness, this is what John Owen Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther were saying, and we have forgotten, and we have forgotten largely in part because of what you just said, we have become, it's like me and Jesus mentality. Yeah. And we've so individualistic and so siloed in our spirituality with our quiet time, which quiet times are good, but they're not sufficient. It right. can't just be me and Jesus. And so the scriptures that I would point to is like first John one, seven, where it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. No, it says we have fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. Like the walking in the light, like that brings this like deep fellowship longing that all of us have that's not individualistic. And then it goes on to say, if you say you have no sin, this is first John one, eight, you deceive yourself yeah. and the truth is not in you. So everybody's got sin. And then it goes on to say in first John one, nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Well, who is that? It's God. God forgives us. So if you want to be forgiven, that's vertical confess between you and God. Right. If you want to healed, which is totally different than being forgiven. If you want to be healed, God says you have to do this confession to each other and pray for each other 
so that you may be healed, not so that you may be shamed, not so that you may be shunned, not so that you may be run out of the church, but for healing. And so if you, you know, back to your question, like if someone's like stuck and they're like, man, they just like, they're, they're afraid or whatever. It's like, well, do you want to be, do you want to be trapped in fear? Or do you want to be free? Like, because yeah. that, that's your choice. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I, I heard somebody say, um, once that like, there's that old song, like Jesus loves me, this I know, but it actually biblically, it should be Jesus loves us. This we know, because the context is meant to be that it's not like, it's not exactly what you just said. Like that we're not just individuals. We're part of a body. We're part of a family of God. And that's, that's the context in which our healing is always supposed to be was not, was not this isolated space and moment, um, you know, far off from other people and real relationships with people, but actually in the middle of that, to find the love of God that loves you for you, not just for your performance or not for your, you know, for however great you think you are, it's just for, for who you are and for the image of God that you bear. Totally. And this has always been a corporate thing. I mean, you look at the old Testament and whenever there's uh, guilt offerings and sin sacrifice and whatnot, I mean, it's not like people are taking sheep and lambs out for a walk on a sunny day. Yeah, like yeah. You see some dude walking with a sheep. It's like, Oh man, this is going to make a sacrifice to the priest. Like something, something's up. You must have had a rough because- weekend. <laughs> Yeah. Like it was always, God has made this because I think he knows like our pride is poisonous. And so there is this axiom that there's no healing without revealing. Like we've got to just like bring things forth. And and I tell you what, I was thinking about this as I was driving into the office on, on this side of confession. I'm always thinking like, Oh man, I'll just get under control on my own. I don't need to confess that. It wasn't that bad. I can probably figure this out there's the, all this fear and condemnation. And I think it's like fiery arrows from Satan, but then you step in faith. Like God has said, this is good. It leads to life. It leads to fellowship. It leads to healing. I'm going to push through. And I've never, never, never in my life thought in hindsight, Oh man, you know what? I wish I wouldn't have confessed that. And, and here's the reality. Somebody's going to confess adultery. Somebody's going to confess a porn addiction to their wife. Somebody's going to confess, uh, you know, that I was sexually abused or that I sexually abused another. And there's going to be pain. It's going to be hard, but it will, it will, it will be healing to you and your secrets will make you sick. And you keep that stuff stuffed in, man, it's cancer to your soul, but you bring it out. You're going to live. It's going to lead to life. Yeah. I think, I think often people are so, or I think maybe the, the enemy lies to people so routinely that like, if people were to find out what was really going on in your life, like you'd be abandoned, you'd be alone. And that, that very thing that like, you'd be rejected, right? That very thing that causes so much fear. But I think I can even just speak from my own experience when I've had to have a hard conversation and, and talk about something that I'm not proud of or something that's is connected to a level of shame in my life and bring it into the light because of healthy biblical community is actually is exactly what you're talking about. That freedom comes and, and you realize, wow, like these are people who know everything and love me anyways. Yes. You know what I mean? That's the reality that God brings in our life, right? Yeah. It's, it's the woman of the well, right? Like come meet a man who knows everything I ever did. Yeah. And all these people come to, they, they didn't stone her to death for being an adulteress. Yeah. It was like, that was, that was the point in which she knew and they capture it so well on the, on the, the series, the chosen, if you've never, oh, uh, yeah. listeners, Come on. Seen it, like, I mean, that is profound when they put a visual representation to Jesus, uh, knowing in full 
who this woman is and the whole community did. Mm-hmm. And then knowing she was fully known, fully loved. It's, it's also the woman caught in adultery in John eight of like, mm-hmm. Hey, I, I don't condemn you go and sin no more. There's truth and grace. It's, it's Paul right into Timothy, even though it was once a blasphemer, persecutor and violent man. It's Proverbs twenty eight thirteen where the Lord says, uh, he who conceals his sin will not prosper. You can't beat that spiritual system. God, he loves us enough. He will not let you advance. You're not going to move forward. You're going to be stuck. He who conceals his sin will not prosper, but God never leaves us there. Here's one of the beautiful buts of scripture, but whoever confesses and renounces will find mercy. So good. Grace there. I say in the book, there's so many times that we say, um, oh, that's a secret I'm going to take to my grave. Well, in reality, the secret itself is taking you to your grave. It's killing you Whoa. by staying within. Man, that's powerful, man. That's so good. So good. Um, I want to kind of jump in. Like, obviously, we talk around a lot of topics on sexuality. And, and we were just talking before just how crazy um, the the reality is of the influence of porn in in our life, in the church and, and specifically even like with pastors, the percentage is, is really intimidating and really sad, um, of how many, um, people are in the church are involved in this on a routine basis. Um, how do you approach that with somebody who's wanting to walk out of that pattern of life? Where do you start? Where, where would you counsel somebody to start if they're wanting to walk out of that pattern of life? Yeah. Thank you, Brian. So here, let's just, let's talk to statistics, first of all. So this is, this is in Christian community, not just in the world. So in the world, it would be much, 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 much higher, but terrifying statistics um, is that one, well, half of Christian men and then one sixth, one fifth of Christian women are looking at porn regularly. And then for pastors, it's one in seven senior pastors and one in five youth pastors. And that's within the church, those pornography statistics. So porn and masturbation. And, um, and thank you so much for having a platform, Brian, where where, we're talking about this because it's people's reality. And so how can we make that taboo and not talk about it? Like if we're not talking about that, like a hospital that doesn't talk about cancer, like how crazy is that? Like that's where, Sickness is talked about. And so churches have got to start talking about this and we've got to start caring for each other by going up to your pastor in a really loving way and saying, Hey, I want to take you to lunch. I want to take you to coffee. I just heard this crazy statistic. Is that part of your, is that part of your life and story? Like I want to care for you. I'm not, I'm not being yeah. a hall monitor or a cop. Um, and to take the log out of your own eye first, don't go, don't go uh, <laughs> trying to care for someone where you haven't yet found the repentance. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, the question is, you, you said, how would you first approach that? And I guess I answered it in part there first, like take the log out of your own eye first. Like you need sometimes just human nature. We want to feel better about ourselves by trying to go and correct everybody else or say like, well, I, you know, Luke 18, uh, the the publican or the tax collector and, and say, well, at least I'm not like that man, the Pharisee sure. that's looking down sure. and saying, God, thank God, I'm not like him. And, you know, I'm not going to strip clubs. Uh, and it's like, man, we gotta, we gotta deal with ourselves first. And, but if you wait until you're like at this total sanctified, glorified place, you're never going to be of any good. And so we've, it's the strange tension where you're not going to be perfect. And yet we're still called to pastor each other to mm-hmm. live out the one another. 
And so take a good assessment first, like, how am I doing? Seek for repentance. And in that, there's a really helpful way to say to your community, whoever that is, life group, core group, whatever your church group is called, and maybe you don't even have one, you should start one, but to just go first. I yeah. say all the time, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so everybody's mm-hmm. got something. We have these three questions that we ask our small groups at the church is, how have you fed your soul? How have you fed the flesh? And how have you fed others? Because, you know, a lot of times in church, it, it just becomes like a social club, supper club, get together. We, you know, we talk in these Christianese ways of like, oh, I'm kind of struggling this week. Oh, yeah, me too. Okay, I'll pray for you. And it's like, well, right. what does that mean? Like, struggling? Yeah. who's not struggling? Like, great. You just defined <laughs> all 8 billion people on this earth. That's really yeah, right. not helpful. I have no idea how to pray for you. Um, uh, but instead, so how have you fed your soul? You're going to, you're going to learn, is this person abiding? Like I could tell you, Hey, I I read in Isaiah 42 this morning and, and it was about being a light to the blind and a voice to the nations and just this prophecy of Jesus. But now we're supposed to be that too. And I'm thinking like, am I being that? That's how I fed my soul. It might be worship music. It might be, you know, any number of things. How have I fed my flesh? If you're asking that question, then nobody's getting out of the room. I mean, if you said like, well, I really haven't this week. It's like, really? You're either like Jesus in the flesh or you're really self unaware. Yeah. Like all of us fed the flesh in some way. So what's been your struggle? Is it overeating or uh, apathy in your marriage or whatever it may be, but how have you fed the flesh and then how have you fed others? Because we also can become um, really introspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be a tool of Satan where it's like, man, it's me and my quiet time and self-flagellation of, oh, I'm so worthless because I have this struggle. And it's like, well, dude, half the reason why you're, you're like struggling in your sin is because you're not going anywhere. Like you're called to make disciples, like yeah. go and make disciples of all nations. Like right. you got to be about doing what you're supposed to be doing. And instead, man, you're just like living in a bunker trying not to get shot. And it's like, go on the offensive. And so, um, Take a good look at your own life. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so confess sin and say, Hey, how about you? How are you doing? And then, and then as people confess sin, pray for them. Like actually when they confess sin and when, or when you confess, I just texted my community group guy said, Hey, I was struggling with lust. Will you pray for me? Because I I want that to be John James five 16. And here's what I guarantee you. I've been feeling my phone vibrating in my pocket. I guarantee you they're now confessing their sin to me. Right. They're saying, Hey, here's my struggle. I was short with my kids or here's my struggle. I've been apathetic at home or here's my, it, it just happens. And that's what the Lord wants. Yeah. And then, then you can make this daily proactive decision. Like, well, Hey, let's go to war against this. Come on. Do you want to live for the next 24 hours, not to look at porn or touch yourself by God's strength and follow up, follow up with me the next day and let me know how you did. And I'll do the same. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's so, I think we overcomplicate it, right? It's just so easy. It's just living with no walls up, you know what I mean? And just letting people in and, you know, not thinking higher than yourself than you ought to. Right. And just, just being sober minded that way. Um, we were talking a little bit before we, we jumped into the podcast here about the effects, um, that the pandemic and, and, you know, lockdowns and everything isolation, you know, has probably, you know, revealed some things in people's lives. Why don't you just speak into that? Like, how do we coming out of this live, live different than maybe some of us have lived in the pandemic, if that makes sense. Like what's, what's next? How do we overcome, overcome some of this? Yeah. I think that 
I have said it often in this season that pressure creates problems and pressure reveals problems. And this has been a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we are in March, like the world shut down a year ago. I feel like I've got PTSD because it's March again. I know, right? But it did, it did create this like an, an isolation of such a breeding ground for idiosyncrasies and for sin. And so as we uh, got shut down, it revealed problems, it created problems, it pushed us into isolation. And so right now is such a great time for revival. And, yeah. and I don't, I, you know, we all want revival, right? Like everybody wants like, oh Lord, bring revival in our land. Well, biblically speaking, revival, the roots of revival are repentance. Yeah. And so as we repent, and, and just are yielded over to God and the things of the Lord in his word and, and given over to the spirit and not the flesh. That's when a reviving individually and then corporately happens. And it just breaks out because people see like, oh, my goodness, what happened to Brian and Bonnie and John? Like, I want that. How did it come to be? And like the disciples, we say, come and see, come meet yeah. this man, the Messiah. He'll, he won't make you better. He'll make you new. And, and, and that will, is what will happen. And I think right now the world is craving it. I mean, we have an opioid crisis. We have a porn epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, body image and eating disorders, which are fed in part. There's this symbiotic, really unhealthy yeah. uh, social media pornography mashup where men are devouring and women, frankly, are devouring uh, what they see, which mm-hmm. then feed body image thing like oh if that's what i have to be and so we've got eating disorders of all kind and you've got women giving themselves away on hookup apps um you've got the sexualization of of transgender and homosexuality and just this devolution devolution of uh what god created sexuality to be outside of the context of marriage and we're coming undone and we're coming undone in the church the church is caving to cultural relativism Mm -hmm. and so now is the time like, all right, we, we either like seek the Lord, be holy because I am holy, or it's like, forget it, cash in your chips and go the way of the world. Right. And so now is the time. It's been a year. It's time to wake up from our slumber. As it says in Ephesians 5, like, wake up, oh sleeper, and use the days wildly because the days are evil. And every single day, our daily default is the flesh. Like everybody's prone to something. And so now's the day for daily repentance, surrender to the Lord. And that's not a burdensome thing. Like that leads to life. It's Romans 8, where it says, the mind set in accordance with the spirit is life and peace. And that's what everybody wants. We all want life and peace. And yet we're grasping for it in these things that lead to death. Yeah, man. You know, I've heard it said like, um, all behavior is rooted back to a belief you know, right. So how do you like, even speaking into your own story, what was that belief or what was that lie that you had believed about who you are that can maybe kept you in that place of addiction? And what would you say to that person? Like who's wanting to take that step out, um, but can't seem to get past that, even that if it's self image or can't get past that lie that they've believed, how did, how do we, how do we get over that? Yeah. So so important what you're asking. There is, um, in, in theologically speaking, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And so orthodoxy 
is right beliefs about God, and which translates to orthopraxy, which is a right living in accordance of those right truths. And as you said, our beliefs determine our behavior. And so uh, you've got to feed upon the word of God. That's your compass. That's your North Star. Um, that is the light and the darkness that will, that will inform your mind. It's Romans 12. Um, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, which are, they're conforming. It's like every day they're pressing you like a, like a Play-Doh mold. Mm-hmm. This is how you should be. There is this daily conforming that's happening by what I call the wolf, which is the world, Lucifer, and the flesh. Those are the three agents that are trying to conform you. But it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is this... Um, the things of God, the orthodoxy that will lead to orthopraxy. So that's one thing. And then the other, I would say, and I I posted this on Instagram last night. uh, I think that we feed, it's a folk theology that has crept into the church, which really perpetuates um, a lie and something that's going to hinder us from becoming who God intends us to be. And it's this. It's one of the entries in the book. It says, are you a sinner who saints or are you a saint who sins? Hmm. And it really, really matters yeah. what your identity, who you're, because if my identity is I'm a postman, then I, then I deliver the mail. Right. And if my identity is, um, I'm Laura's husband and I'm Hill, Penny and Judd's dad, then I'm going to go home to where I live every night and I'm going to be a husband and a dad. Yeah. But if my identity is a sinner, if I'm a, if I personally accept the identity, even if I've trusted in Jesus, I believe I confess with my mouth. He is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I'm born again, made right with God, but I still identify I'm a sinner, which I would argue is not a new Testament theology. Then, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to sin. I'm a sinner. Then I sin. Right. That's just what I do. I kind right. of just like shrug my shoulders and think like, well, I'm just fulfilling my job description. Or so what I can count is probably like three times from once from Paul and a couple of times from James. Uh, he uses the word, they use the word sinner. But I would say 97 to three times for the church, mm-hmm. the word saint is used. And the Greek word is hagios and it's holy ones. Wow. It, one who is set apart wholly as unto the Lord. And, and P.S., some of this shows up as Paul writes to the Corinthians. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, <laughs> dude, they were, they were Mardi Gras, man. They were, they were, right. they were the New Orleans church. It was like, <laughs> he says in 1 Corinthians 6, even, even though some of you are the wicked one inherit the kingdom of God, not the sexually immoral, the adulterers, homosexual offenders, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the swindlers, yeah. the slanderers. You got the 1 Corinthians 5 guy who's sleeping with, I hope it wasn't his actual mom, maybe his stepmom, but I mean, it was, it was crazy town. Yeah. And when Paul addresses them, he says, you're saints. Come on. Which people would be like, wait, shouldn't you call them sinners? No, no, they're saints. Yeah. They're made right with God. He says, but such were some of you, but you were washed and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And he's like, what you've done does not define who you are. What you do does not even define who you are. Whose you are defines who you are. And out of that reality, like my children, I hope, uh, 
as Elmores, I, I tell them all the time, like, hey, this is an Elmore family value. We don't lie. We work hard. We try. We don't give up. We encourage people. We never make fun of each other. There's these El- that that's who we are uh, because they're my kids. The kids down yeah. the street, I don't get to, I, I don't get to tell them what to do. They, they're not my kids, but right. my kids, it's my Elmore family values. And so it's like, it really, really matters if you identify as a sinner or a saint. Man. John, thank you so much for doing this today, man. This has been such an awesome, an awesome conversation. And I would encourage everybody get a copy of John's book, Freedom Starts Today. It's a 90 day journey, overcoming struggles and addictions one day at a time. Uh, John, how can people stay in touch with you? Um, On Instagram, uh, you can search John Elmore. It's John underscore A underscore Elmore. E-L-M-O-R-E. Uh, you can go to freedomstrustoday.org and that's got contact information and where you can submit a prayer request, um, things like that. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's listed there in the book as well. There's an email address, info at freedomstrustoday.org. Awesome. Well, we will make sure we get all of your information and links in the, in the show notes for people to stay in touch with you. Honestly, John, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, we hope that Freedom Starts Today gets into everybody's hands because freedom does start today. I believe it. It can be a new beginning in somebody's life. So thank you so much for doing this today, man. Thank you and Bonnie for everything you're doing. It was total joy, kindred spirits. And so thank you for, for your ministry. Thanks for listening to the union podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at the For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.